This is Creek with At The Table Podcast. Here at At The Table Podcast, our goal is to break down scripture and biblical topics to make them easy to understand and inspire a conversation that is ultimately glorifying to God. We pray that this content blesses you, challenges you, and edifies you in your faith. So have a seat at the table, and without further ado, let's get into the show. Morning. Good morning. Wow. <laughs> good morning. <laughs> good morning. Trey. The morning actually uh, is good. The sun come up early. It's not. It's going to be a beautiful day. I could tell. I was drinking coffee, watching the sunrise. I just heard that song in my head. It's going to be a bright, bright, sunshiny day. It will be. It's a good day be. for work. Yeah. Well, that's a good day to not work too. For real. Can't beat it. It's a good day to grill some hot dogs or something. Or it's a real a good day to pay somebody else to grill a hot dogs and then go eat them. <laughs> it's, gonna grill it's, your... it's Shabbat, baby. I'm I'm going to uh, Euro. Yeah. Yeah. Christian, Protestant, to American to be. I, I'll be working yeah. all Shabbat. Sunday's my Shabbat, and <sighs> I believe you me on that Sunday, I do no work. <laughs> work is the black plague and you ain't that, coming here that donkey can stay in the ditch <laughs> <laughs> for those of you that don't get that reference read your bible yeah you'll, you'll get it yeah it's worth reading for sure too. <laughs> that's some of the content some of the best content is all these hidden little easter eggs if you're not a studied bible reader yeah this is the part where we say read your bible don't just listen to us read it to you yeah yeah I can't wait till after, you know, one of us say something like that to have this little this little board up and going so I can hit that cricket button. Cricket, cricket. <laughs> oh, bro, I'm so excited about the new equipment. By God's grace, we've been blessed. And, like, you guys are really going to see some changes in, in audio quality. Oh, and, yeah. Oh, yeah. In podcast format. It's, it's I'm so excited for it. Something pretty exciting, too. Uh, man, just for all of you listeners and supporters out there, thank you so much. Um for, for your support. God's really blessing this thing. We've got to hear from several people already um, how it's impacting their week just to be able to have something Christian and biblical to tune into that's also kind of lighthearted as, as well, you know, kind of helps them get through the day. But uh, I think we're up to, last time I checked earlier this week, like 1,200 followers on Facebook within a yeah. month, which is insane. I mean, you guys are really all of that inside of a week. Yeah. Like it just kind of and, caught, yeah. caught some traction. Yeah. Looking forward to see what God does, man. This is, it's, it's not every day that you get to serve God while also like living your dream. Yeah. Right? yeah. That's most of the service that you do is not that way. <laughs> Hashtag Sunday drummer, man. <laughs> wow. I kind of feel targeted. <laughs> you should. Yeah. But, no, it's awesome. But we've we, just been really blessed to be able to, yeah do this we appreciate you guys engaging with us throughout the week too yeah we actually uh, have some merch too you know yeah. we got some last some, t- some shirts available and made and some so, t-shirts yeah. um for those of you uh who if you, if anyone wants one get a hold of us on our social media send us an email you know 
we'll be happy to we'll get you hooked up. Yeah, get you hooked up. Start trying to roll that out on a more regular basis too for everybody yeah. that wants to rep it. Yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely so. So Good I think beach. we should uh, let's get into the material. Yeah, it sounds good. So we uh, concluded Genesis right um, last week. We, we finished up the uh, the life of Jacob, and the, and we started with Joseph, and we went through the life of Joseph, and and kind of tracked him. And so this this people, this line, this 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 called out people, this chosen people, find themselves in a foreign land because of a famine, right? So picking up in Exodus in chapter one. We are given the names of, of all the tribes of Israel once again. But in verse 6, it says, Joseph died, and all his brothers and all that generation were fruitful, and the people of Israel increased greatly, and they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so the land was filled with them. But there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us. It almost kind of feels like a two brothers scenario. You see, like the evidence of that Eden blessing in in Israel, and then a different person, you know, Pharaoh and other guys. Like this isn't good, you know. Yeah, he's despising them because they're blessed. Yeah, and it, and it has that Eden imagery too, because it says, "Let us deal shrewdly with them." Right? It's almost like that serpent. Like he's the crafty one, right? He's the he, he's the 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 creature in in the garden this but, pharaoh is but it's it's um i guess like reassuring to hear exodus start out with some kind of imagery that tells us that god's promise in eden is still in mind yeah because be fruitful and multiply is exactly where that comes from yeah yeah god god is blessing them in in, in spite of this famine but as oftentimes it happens you know everybody else doesn't they don't like the the to see Israel blessed, right? You know this Pharaoh. It's almost, I guess, because probably he doesn't he he doesn't worship the same God. So like, he's it's another case of someone who doesn't believe that God is good enough to bless everybody, right? Laban was blessed because of Jacob, yeah. But he wanted to afflict Jacob, right? And that that story is is played over and over and over where they don't believe that God is good enough or that God's imager or his promised one, his chosen one is good enough, right? It's, it's, there's that fear. And so we're kind of, we open up with that. And this is the beginning of the fulfillment of, of the prophecy given to Abraham. But I like what it says in verse 10 too. You know, he says, lest they multiply and if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies, fight against us and escape from the land. So you yeah. almost kind of get this idea that Maybe they're wanting to benefit off of Israel yeah. being in the land too. Oh yeah, and them leaving isn't a good thing, you know. Well, for, if it wasn't for, for Joseph, yeah, Pharaoh, you know, they'd all be dead. But they, they wouldn't have the kingdom that they had, yeah. right? So we have this start of this prophecy where now this Pharaoh is enslaving the children of Abraham, much like we talked about, you know, the the abuse of the Egyptian slave Hagar by Abraham and Sarah. Now the sons of Abraham are being abused by the Egyptians. And we have this promise from to Abraham from God that his children are, are going to dwell in a foreign land for 400 years. And so that's kind of bleak, right? We, we open up this episode with, with God's people in slavery, and we know that it's going to last some time. Well, 
we see this theme all throughout what we're going to read, but, you know, past generations' mistakes really do affect the future generations. Oh, yeah, definitely so. And so in 13, it says they they ruthlessly, ruthlessly <laughs> made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service and the making of mortar and brick and in all kinds of work of the field. They were ruthless to them as slaves. And then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one whose name was Shipra and the other Pua, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and you see them on the birthstool, if there is a son, you will kill him. And if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let every male child live. And so the king of Egypt called the midwives and said, why are you doing this and letting the male children live? And they said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and they give birth before we ever even get there, right? Yeah. So why do you guys think that he wants to kill the male, the male children? It's like a reversal, it seems, of Cain and Abel. You know, you've got like, if you if you start from Genesis 3, where, where there's the fall, you know, the serpent in an attempt to kill, um, you know, kill human imagers deceives them tricks them into doing something that they know they're not supposed to do. And they, they obey his voice and they don't fear God. They don't fear God's command yeah. in the end. They fear God, but they fear God too late. Yeah. Right. Cain was told if you offer a good sacrifice, won't you be rewarded as well? But his answer instead is to kill the guy that did good. And in this case, it seems like, you know, the, the serpent seed war is being made in proxy. Right. You know, the serpents using Pharaoh to try to snuff out the chance of the seed um, stomping at the serpent. Well, also point out, like, you know, a lot of times in Scripture, we see like a very narrative story, but it's also very practical and literal. And in this case, that is a good answer. But as well, it's also just men are the ones who are going to start a rebellion and men are the ones who are going to fight back against Pharaoh. So, yeah, I think I think that like here you. Both of your answers are equally true. I think that you have this idea that the the spiritual realm and the and the physical realm they mirror one another. So Pharaoh's intents are pretty practical. This imager of the serpent, the seed of the serpent, his idea is like, hey, there's too many guys out here, and if we go, to, you know, we get into com- combat, they they could overtake us. But the 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 spiritual principality behind Pharaoh. He's trying to do exactly what he did to Cain and Abel. I'll make one kill the other, and then both are disqualified, right? Then neither one of them are the, are the, the snake crusher. And it's like you pointed out before, you know, Pharaoh's crown, if you will, is a headdress that looks like a like a cobra or a viper yeah. who's plumed out. And then on the, on the very forefront of his crown is a is a snake that, whose head is plumed as well. Yeah. So like it literally looks like the seed. It literally of the looks like the the representative of the serpent. And that is going to become so imperative because what we're going to get into in this episode is a battle of imagers, right? There is going to be this proxy battle. And so moving on, uh, Pharaoh for a second time, he, he gives them a command and he says, every son that is born to the Hebrews, I want you to cast him in the Nile, but let every woman live. Mm. And a man from the house of Levi went and took a Levite woman as his wife, and the woman conceived a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she could no longer hide him, she took him a basket made of bulrushes, 
And she, she daubed it with bitumen and pitch, and she put the child and placed it among the reeds on the river bank. And as his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him, now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and while the young women while her young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds, and she sent her servant, she took it, opened it up, saw the child, and that the baby was crying, and she took pity on him. This is one of the Hebrews' children, she said. And then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew people to nurse this child for you? And the Pharaoh's daughter said, Go. And so she went and called the child's mother, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give him I will give you your wages. And so the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she named him she named him Moses, because I drew him out of the water. It's pretty cool. It seems like God's infiltrated the serpent's ranks to yeah. save one of the seed. <laughs> of his yeah, own. that's yeah. exactly right. Not only that, but like we have this picture here of where it seems like this, this woman, these women, these Hebrew women, they're doing what they're supposed to do. They're fearing God and not fearing Pharaoh, right? And there's just such trust in this situation because she's putting everything in her son, which is marked out because he's a fine child there's something different about him from birth she's placing him into this this ark of bulrushes putting him in the chaos waters and trusting that god will, will ensure the safety of this child yeah that's fire the k the, the whole chaos waters that's reference exactly i've never thought of that but we have you know it's very clearly like another moment where god preserves the line that needs to be preserved yeah you know, Lewis, our guest last week pointed out that, you know, like with Judah and Tamar, like, you know, what God does to preserve what he needs preserved, no matter what comes against it, you know. Yeah, well, he's, we're, we're having all of this imagery here, and it's it's painting Moses to look like this boy that, we're, that the story is focusing in on. It's painting like this, this is going to be the answer to the problem. Everything in the imagery is looking like this is this is going to be it. Yeah, I mean, at the start of a book called Exodus, like it means like leaving, you know, like the leaving. Yeah, you you start out with the focus coming in on a character whose name means, you know, in Hebrew is Moje, means drawn out. Yeah. So the character that seems to be getting the magnifying glass at this point, his name seems to coincide with what we're anticipating his role is going to be, in drawing. Out. And so, like, at the end of this this little part here, we have Moses becoming the son of the daughter of Pharaoh. That's crazy. Like the daughter of the slave. The seed of the serpent. Yeah, this, this slave <laughs> yeah. is being elevated in, in the house of Pharaoh. I like how it says, you know, in 11, he says of, of Exodus 2, one day Mo, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens and saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you hit your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you did the Egyptian? So Moses is afraid, and he's scared that the thing is known. And when Pharaoh hears of it, he wants to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian and sat by a well. And it's kind of funny because like the place that he flees to is kind of who was the people that were helping be responsible for Joseph to end up in Egypt <laughs> yeah. to begin with. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
I think it's just it seems a little obvious when I say it now, but it's just crazy how almost poetic it is that you have a Hebrew slave becoming a higher up and in, in a, an Egyptian culture yeah. and saving his people. He looks like he looks like Joseph in this picture. Like we have this expectation, like, oh, you know, he went from being a slave to to you know the pit and then the prison and then number two in all of Egypt. Except Moses is I don't know, he's different, right? He sees like a an injustice suffering and he strikes the man down. Yes. Yeah. Causing yeah. the injustice. I think it's funny when the, the people say, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? It's like uh Pharaoh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Literally the only person that matters. Well, yeah. He's know, the one that <laughs> come to think of it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I mean Exodus two continues on and this priest of Midian has got seven daughters and they come to draw out water and fill the troughs with their water's flock and um shepherds came to like chase him away and and Moses uh did kind of like what our boy Jacob did back in mm. Genesis. This brother showed up to save the day and yeah. Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock and they came home and their dad's like, how is it that you got home so soon today? Like, why did it not take you as long to do your chores as they did before? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. So he's like, well, where's he at? Why have you left the man? Call him that he would eat bread. And so Moses is content to live with them, it says in verse 21, and he gives to Moses his daughter Zipporah, and she gives birth to a son, and he calls his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. That's so good. it's another moment, kind of like Joseph, yeah, who is, you know, said with Ephraim, when he has his second son, Ephraim, he says, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. It's another, yeah, it's this idea that, that to to a Hebrew, even one who is born and raised, you know, in prosperity of Egypt, that is not, there's this acknowledgement that that is not ideal. Yeah. You know, my, my, my blessing, my, my place is outside of this. It's somewhere else. And Midian, I mean, it's not a, a, a woman from Haran, but yeah. it is, she is from Abraham's line. Yeah. You know, I mean. Yeah, it's not it's not altogether a bad thing. And the thing to me that's interesting is right here, the 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 conflict has been reintroduced in this book, right? You have a people being oppressed by the Egyptians, which are God's people that are being oppressed by the Egyptians, who seem to be like proxy representations of the serpent. And the guy that's named Moje, drawn out, stands up to try to save a Hebrew from an Egyptian. But whenever he thinks that Pharaoh is about to make him suffer the consequences, he leaves Egypt. And so this figure that's been highlighted is gone, and he goes to settle down in a different place, and he has a wife, and then he has a son, and he's content to dwell there. And it would make you think, well, what are you going to do now? You know, what's going to happen now? But as every point we've seen in the text so far, when evil has, has risen to a point, where where God hears it, man. We're we're there again. It says during those many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, <coughs> and God heard their groaning and remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. 
God saw the people of Israel, and it says, and God knew. So uh, you know, it's almost like if if it was just about Moses, right, he could he could start a whole new nation. Yeah. He's of Abraham, right? If it was all about Moses, he's he's safe. Right. He's not in Egypt. But there's this idea that Judah's still there. Yeah. Right? His brothers are still there. And God's not okay with that. Moses isn't okay with that. Well, I like how you pointed out Judah is still there. Moses yeah. is not a Judah. He's a Levite. And we know that our our ruler, our scepter, our guy that's whose reign is never going to be checked, it's never going to be challenged, and it's never going to be over. That that yeah. snake crusher does not come from the line of Levi like Moses does. Right. It comes from the line of Judah. So Judah has to be saved. Judah. Something has That's to be right. done. That's right. Isn't it kind of the reversal? Like where, you know, Joseph was in Egypt and and everybody, you know, comes down there. He's the one that sold out. Now it's it's Judah that's, that's in the prison and the Levi's yeah. coming back from Judah, right? Everybody's yeah. taking a turn. But I, I do I do think that that's important because God is not content. And it's you have that more more of that Genesis imagery where it says that their cry came up to God. Yeah. Right? This idea that in his in his omniscience, he doesn't miss anything. And when, when someone cries out, even if it's one person like like Abel, his blood will cry out to God from the ground but when it's you know when it's israel in in egypt and they're they're under this this you know harsh strict you know taskmaster it says that their cry for it comes up before god he doesn't miss it right he's not absent that's good he's attentive to his plan and his plan is to restore genesis before genesis chapter three right to crush evil and we get more of eden imagery that god is going to restore in chapter three of exodus it says moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law jethro who is the priest of midian and just as a sidebar it doesn't tell us that he's the priest of the most high god as it does for um melchizedek yeah right but we have you know a, a priest figure nonetheless in the west side of the wilderness and he came to horeb the mountain of God. So we're back to a mountain place, but this one specifically said like Eden, this is God's mountain. Yeah. You this have a man God's coming place. to a mountain. And, and the second figure that shows up in verse two, who is also the figure that shows up in verse one, just ties all of it together. And the angel of Yahweh appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and beheld the bush was burning yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, because you don't see a bush burning and not getting burnt every day. (laughs) So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him to him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I, or here I am. And he said, do not come near. Take the sandals off of your feet, for the place which you are standing on is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Verse 7 tells us that God has seen the affliction of his people that are in Egypt. He's heard their cry. He knows their sufferings. Mm. He says, and I have come down to deliver them. That's powerful. Yeah, and, and not just deliver them out of Egypt, but it says, 
I want to take them to a good land that's flowing with milk and honey, the place of the Canaanites. So these people that have been, they've been, you know, living in, in the good place that, that God has destined for Abraham. He's like, I'm taking you there. And we'll see way later after this series is done and another series is done that there's a another book in the Bible that connects Egypt with Sodom and Gomorrah. But the last time that we seen the angel of Yahweh come down, he says that he's heard the cry, yeah. the outcry of evil from Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's come down to see what's going on and administer judgment. So yeah. he comes down and, you know, he stays behind with Abraham and the other two angels go in to wreck the joint. So <laughs> we we have all of the right imagery here that says, like, God is here to save the day. Yeah. And you have that Eden imagery like we talked about before. A man is meeting God on a mountain. And what's there? There's this bush. There's a, there's a tree. There's eights. There's this. Yeah. And now we have a new element. But it's kind of it's kind of old too because what was what was there to guard the entrance into Eden mm. to keep it a, a flaming sword so you have this fire that's on the tree and yeah. and God is speaking out of it and we, we're introduced into another concept too the concept of sacred space yeah right holy ground holy yeah. ground he says take off your sandals that man made thing that's covering the feet that I made take it off yeah because this place is different than the place that you came you, you came from this place is special. Well, in the Edenic imagery so far that we've seen in Exodus is that the children of Israel have been fruitful and multiplied. Yeah. But God's like tying it up here at the end where he's going to save them from oppression, but bring them into abundance. Right. Either you're going to a land I'm going to bring you to that's flowing with milk and honey. Yeah. It's like I'm going to bring you to a beautiful Edenic-like place. Just like another note in like as far as. I guess a theological concept is, is God says, I've come down and I'm going to do this. And then in verse 10, he says, come, I'm going to send you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to do this thing, but you're going to do this thing. Right. You know, I'm going to yeah. send it's because why, <coughs> what is Adam? Adam. He is the imager of God. Pharaoh is being painted to look like the imager of the serpent. So I'm going to send my imager to go to battle against the serpent's imager. And you're going to bring my people out, the children of Israel, it says. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out? But God says, I will be with you, and there will be a sign for you that I have sent the people. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, that you will serve God on this mountain. Moses said, if I come to the people and I tell them the God of your fathers has sent me and they ask, what is his name? What shall I say? And God says to Moses, I am who I am, mm. right? I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people that I am has sent you. The divine name. The divine yeah. name. Man, what a privilege. God also said to Moses, say this to the people, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered for all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob has appeared to me. I have observed what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites. They will listen to your voice, and you will go to the elders of Israel and go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we will sacrifice to our God. 
but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. <laughs> and so I will reach out my hand. I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with wonders that I will do in it. And he will let you go. And I will give his pe this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you won't go empty handed. But each woman shall ask of her, her neighbor and her woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And you will put them on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. This isn't the first time that we've seen this vocabulary, and it won't be the last either. This will be introduced in a later book again in the in the New Testament. But we have, you remember Isaac and Abraham, a three days journey into the wilderness yeah. with the eights, the tree on his back carried so that he would be the sacrifice. Three days is, is theologically linked to a test. But this too, so... <coughs> It says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. We're going to get specific things later that say that God will be with us. It says God has met with us. And now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to God. So there'll be another blending of three days sacrifice, God with us, yeah. and people contesting what's been done. And the response to that contesting, the king of Egypt not letting them go, he says, I know he will not let you go unless I compel him with a mighty hand. So I'll stretch out my hand and strike Egypt. What a way for God to introduce himself. Man. Like, I mean, you know, I don't know if this God of Israel, uh, of Jacob, was completely forgotten. But in 400 years, I mean, there's... Yeah. There's a lot that changes and there's a lot that their minds wander to, you know, they're looking around thinking, which God do I worship? What do I? And, you know, this is just this is this is really the first time an Israelite has seen God in 400 years. You do have a hint that they they haven't forgotten God because they say it says they cried out and the Lord yeah. heard their cry, you know, but there's you, had to been some doubt there. Like it's know, easy to feel forgotten. Yeah. Right. But God says, not only will you be forgotten, but I'll free you. I'm going to strike them on down. And the end of chapter 3 says, you're not coming out empty-handed either. Man. This is Creek Without the Table podcast. We pray you're enjoying the show. If you are, feel free to leave us a good rating, share our podcast with a friend, and turn on post notifications so that you don't miss an episode. You can find us on Facebook, Patreon, Apple Music, Spotify, or any other streaming platform. Get comfortable and enjoy the rest of the show. So we end chapter three with this, this I guess, um, promise from God that you're going to leave. It's not going to be easy. And I'm going to strike Egypt like I struck Jacob. Right. I'm, I'm going to intervene. I'm physically coming in to intervene. And when you leave, you're not going to leave as slaves. You're going to leave with the wealth of Egypt. And it says you're going to plunder them. <laughs> I love it when God talks about plundering people's camps. <laughs> this chapter for me, I think, is one of the most relatable moments uh, yeah. for any man of God. Because it starts out <laughs> with, you know, Moses being afraid, he's like, oh, they're not going to listen to me. And they're going to say, the Lord didn't appear to you. After he's given him the divine name, he's told him everything, and he tells them, they're going to listen to you. Except for Pharaoh, he's, he's definitely not going to listen to you. 
and I'm going to beat him, right? I'm going to strike him. <laughs> and the Lord says, what's in your hand? And a staff. So he throws the, the staff, the eights, this wood on the ground, and it becomes a serpent. And then he tells them that if you grab it by the tail, you know, and so he grabs it by the tail, and then it becomes a staff again. So he has this sign. And then the second sign he has is to put his hand inside of his cloak and he takes it out and it's leprous and then he puts his hand back in his cloak and pulls it out and it's no longer leprous and then god gives him these two signs and then a third one of taking water from the nile pouring it on the dry ground and it becoming blood and after giving all of these signs to be assured that god's going to be with him and that everything's going to go well moses is like but i can't talk very good and God's like, I'm the one that makes people's mouths. Don't trip, tater chip. You know, I got you. <laughs> and Moses finally gets down to the crux of the issue in verse 15. In verse 13, and he's like, oh, my Lord, please send somebody else. <laughs> it's like he goes through all of these excuses, but this. And God's like, oh, I've got that. He's like, but this. Oh, but I've got that, that, and that. And he's like, I just don't can you just send somebody else? <laughs> He just doesn't want to go. But something that's important is this blending of this intercessor figure that's being highlighted here and contrasted specifically in a seed war that's getting pretty intense yeah. has so far been given the the authority or the power, if you will, imparted to him by Yahweh to put this staff down and it becomes a serpent. Yeah. Right. And then he takes the serpent by its tail. And then yeah. it becomes a staff again, back to the eights. The second one is leprosy. Disease. Right? He has mastery over the healing of disease. And the third is to change water into blood. But specifically, the same water that was filled with the blood of Hebrew children. Yeah. As he cast, we're, Pharaoh we're gonna cast get, their kids into the Nile. When we, when we start our, our um, episode about the Ten Strikes, we're going to dive into that deeper. But I think that... This is more prophetic imagery, right? That the snake crusher should have mastery over the serpent. Yeah. He should have mastery over disease, but he also should have mastery over the chaos waters. Yeah. Right? He's going to he's gonna exhibit a, a, a control over all of these forces that are uncontrollable to any person. The serpent has his reign, right? The water is unconquerable, right? Disease. There's no cure for leprosy. Some forms of leprosy still today, there's no cure for it. Yeah. Right? But the snake crusher, he should have control over all of these things. And yeah. so yeah. it says that the Lord's anger <laughs> kindles against Moses because of all his excuses and all of his, you know, crying and, and whining about not wanting to go. Well, it shows us that, you know, God's desire is for even the snake crusher, but anyone is to just say, your will over mine and submit to that. <laughs> well, he doesn't really have a choice, right? <laughs> God's anger kindles against him, and he says, Is your brother Aaron, the Levite, is he not? I know he speaks well. And behold, he's already on his way out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. And you will speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be the mouth. I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you will be as a God to him. And take in, take in your hands <coughs> the staff with which you will do all the signs. Yeah, so we you you have like this. I'll make I'll make you like a god to him. This god man figure accompanied by a Levite, 
yeah. as he goes to free his people, but, which uh, will also become important. Well, that's he's on. a prophet, right? That's what yeah. a prophet is. A prophet is someone who speaks for God. So Moses, in, in a way, is he is embodying Yahweh in, in, a, in a way. He isn't Yahweh, but God has chosen him to reflect him in this way. And so there's still an idea that even there needs to be somebody to go between. Yeah. Right. God didn't come to all the people of Israel. He sent someone else. And so Aaron is going to be this prophet. He's going to be this go-between guy. Yeah. Um, So Jethro or Moses goes back to Jethro because God's appeared to him. And he says, hey, the people that wanted you dead are, are all dead now. So let's get this thing going. So he sends him back and Moses goes to his father-in-law and he requests to go back and his father-in-law sends him off. But we get like this, uh, you know, and, and God's told Moses, like, you're going to show all these miracles to Pharaoh, but I'm going to harden his heart. He's not going to listen to you. And the reason that I'm going to harden his heart is so that I can I can strike him. But you have this imagery in 22 where he says, you're going to say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Oof. So <laughs> God's not, he's not playing, right? No. But what's interesting is like he's in a lodging place on the way and God meets him and desires to put him to death. Not Mo, not Pharaoh, but Moses. Yeah. He desires to kill Moses. And yeah. like you get this, this scene here where his wife Zipporah, who's a Midianite, takes flint and she cuts off her, her son's foreskin and touch Moses's feet with it and says, you're a bridegroom of blood to me. You know, let him alone. Like you get this kind of feeling that because Moses wasn't faithful to pass that covenant sign on as he was supposed to, that maybe it's because of that, that God wants to kill him. I don't know. I think so. I think it's, you're not being set apart, right? You're supposed to be. You're supposed to be, only my people have this sign of the covenant. You're supposed to do that. And you don't get to be an Egyptian. You have to be a Hebrew. You have to be a son of Abraham. You have to, if you want if you want to be my people, then you need the sign of my covenant, right? I'm glad my wife shows up for me like Zipporah shows up for Moses. <laughs> <laughs> she really saved his life, dude. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, that's true. My wife does that too. She saves my life. Well, I'm not going to be baited into your little. <laughs> I thought you were going somewhere else completely. That's, yeah, I thought you were getting ready to make <coughs> a joke that men. No, no. Not do. <laughs> yeah. The Lord said to Aaron. <laughs> Good change. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Zippor does, she does save his life because he was disobedient in this, you know, the, the, the covenant made with Abraham says that all generations of you. All of them in the future, they're going to do this. And by this, you are you are entering every generation after into the covenant with me. Yeah. That sign is a sign that you are you are putting your children in covenant with me. And Moses hadn't done this. He's he's still he's still acting like an Egyptian in that way. Yeah. So the Lord speaks to Aaron, too. And he says, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him in the mountain of God and kissed him. Moses told uh, Aaron all the words that the Lord had told him to speak, all of the signs he commanded him to do. They gathered together the elders of Israel, 
Aaron speaks all of the words that God spoke to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people, and the people believed. And when they had heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, and he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. So you get this moment where the Israelite, the elders of the Israelite people, like on behalf of them, it looks good. See that, you know, yeah. hey, God's going to deliver us. This is good. And they bow their heads and worship. And in Exodus 5, we uh, we uh, get what we're guaranteed that Pharaoh's not, he's not feeling it. He's not with it. That's a good point. What It says that God promises Moses, like, I'm going to harden the heart of Pharaoh. What this isn't is that God is forcing Pharaoh to, I mean, it is in a way. But it's also not. Pharaoh is going to do what he is naturally inclined to do, which is be a rebel. But God is going to increase that. And he's going to put him in a position to do what he will naturally do. He's going to naturally harden his heart as God puts him in these positions. Right? And God is going to, he's making Pharaoh an object of, of destruction. It reminds me of something that I read in the New Testament of go do what is in your heart to do. So, you know, um, yeah, Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh, say to the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I'm not going to let Israel go. So you have a people that recognize their God that are the seed of of Abraham, and then the seed of the serpent that says, who is he that I would listen to him? I don't know who he is, and I'm not going to listen to him. And then, you know, all of us just kind of have this feeling like, well, you're fixing to find out. (laughs) Well, yeah, because, I mean, after they, they don't, right, Moses comes to Pharaoh with this proposition. Pharaoh's response is not to, to let the people go. Right, he's going to increase their labor. He makes them have to to get their own straw for for bricks. Right, he's going to make it harder on them. Yeah, and that and they said that. Of course, they go to him with the wanting to go out for the three days, and Pharaoh's like, "No, not going to happen." He increases their labor, and they they cry out and they say, "Let us go and offer this sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men." That they labor and pay no regard to lying words. So Pharaoh's like, not feeling it at all, right? In the verse 10, the taskmasters and foremen, they, they don't give them the straw. They have to make all these bricks. Their labor's increased. And they start to kind of like get bitter with, with old Moses, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> they, look at, they seem to lay this at, at, at Moses and Aaron's feet, right? Yeah. And there's... The Lord look on you and judge because you have made us in the Gosh, sight of Pharaoh dang. a stink in his servants. And you have, they have put a sword in their hands to kill us. And so you first have like the elders of Israel like, ah, this is good. And then the foremen of Israel are like, may God judge you. They have this feeling that, man, it's so powerful. Again, this uh, representative or... Um, prototype or foreshadow of the snake crusher in a way is is here doing what he is supposed to do right mitigating justice freeing people and and making war with the serpent the people say may god judge you they're the ones that really deserve judgment 
but I don't know. Maybe working behind the text is a greater knowing that man cannot withstand God's judgment. And this is a theme we will see throughout all of Scripture, is the people hating the Deliverer. Man. Yeah. Despising their Savior. If they don't, you know, when Moses comes to him, he says, like, I'm here to pull you out. God's heard you cry, and we're going out. I'm going to take you with me. But just because things got a little bit harder, the people are bucking. You know, you've put a sword in the hands of the Egyptians to kill us. They're not trusting God. So where you have in the beginning of this this episode, the women feared God and not Pharaoh. Yeah. Right. And they didn't kill the Hebrew children. They make the right choice. Now, they're, the people aren't making the right choice. They're fearing Pharaoh over God. But God is patient. In uh, chapter six, we begin with uh, Moses. Uh, the Lord says to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as God Almighty, El Shaddai. But by my by the Lord by but by my name the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself known. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel and the Egyptians holding them as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel that I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and deliver you from slavery, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, and with the great acts of judgment I will take you to be my people. I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the Egyptians' burdens. I will bring you to the land that I swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. So maybe what we should expect is when the snake crusher comes, that there is going to be an act <coughs> of deliverance, that the people are going to say, God should judge you instead of us, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like God put the judgment on you for the affliction you've caused to us. But there's going to be this act of deliverance. There's going to be backlash from the serpent. The serpent's response to this deliverance is going to be to further and heavier afflict God's people. And then when God's people say, you know, in a sense, Moses, I feel like kind of would, would trade roles here and be like, you know, hey, I know you said you were going to deliver, but so far, this is pretty much just brought bad on people. <laughs> this is exactly what I figured this, it would be. This has been bad, right? But God starts out chapter six with saying, now you're going to see what I'm going to do. Yeah, I'm going to strike these people and bring out. And again, maybe this is what we should expect when the snake crusher arrives, when he goes to start crushing the snake, when there's this act of deliverance that brings his people out, that the serpent will respond to God's people with oppression, with persecution. And that after a period of time or throughout the course of time, that God will bring acts of judgment to strike the serpent and bring his people out yeah. so that they can be with him it's, in his new land. For us, you know, in modern times, it's almost es eschatological, yeah. right? It's this idea of like, we need that. Yeah. Verse 9 starts off with, and Moses tells the people all this, but they don't listen to Moses because Aww. of their broken spirit and harsh <laughs> slavery. Well, yeah, that's kind of understandable. It's like God, God is, he's relating them, relating to them in that way, right? He's like, I know I know you're not listening to Moses, but I also know why, 
Right. You know, you know, there's, there's, you don't see where God, at least in this place yet, he doesn't look at them and say, you know, with anger and judgment because they don't listen to Moses. He knows that like, that's the natural reaction for, for an Adam in this situation. You know, your, your spirit's been broken by, by the punishment. <clears throat> What's funny is as chapter six, like starts to wind down, you, you have a genealogy about Aaron and, and Moses that tell us it doesn't it seem out of place. Why at this point in time would you bring a genealogy to show us what line they come from? Like it's 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 like you're waiting from until this point. Well not waiting entirely till this point, but reiterating again at this point in the story that Moses and Aaron are both Levites. Yeah. They're not from Judah. They're both Levites. But yeah. there's yeah. In verse 26, um, it says, These are Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, Bring the people of Israel out from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing the people out, a people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? So, winding down, right now, the beginning, the, the starts of this seem to not be promising from the perspective of the people of Israel. But if you're reading the text, everything is happening ex exactly like you should expect it to. Like God said it would. Exactly like God said it he would. He said, I'm going to harden his heart. He's not going to let you go unless I compel him with a mighty hand. Yeah. Right. And that moreover, the entire purpose of his heart being hardened. And we're going to see this again throughout Exodus in the next episode that we do. You know, there's a saying, the same sun that melts butter hardens clay. Right. right. And Pharaoh is not submitting because it's not in Pharaoh's heart to submit. No. Pharaoh doesn't want the God of Israel to be the God of Egypt. Right. He wants to be the God of Egypt and yeah. the God of Israel. Yeah. Right. But God's not interested in sharing his throne with the serpent's proxy governor guy. And he's certainly not interested in sharing his throne that's, with the serpent. That's a really good point. And I think like as, as we do wind down and, and land this airplane, that we have to understand the context of of an Israelite author or even a an Egyptian author at this point. These people in, in this time frame, Pharaoh viewed himself as a son of Ra. Right. A literal descendant of Ra, yeah. of, of his God. And that's what gives him the divine authority to rule over his people. And other people. And, the, and he is the emissary, in fact, between the gods and the people. Yeah. And God is using Moses in the same way. And he even tells him such, right? I'm going to make you a god to them. They're yeah. going to look at you yeah. like they look at Pharaoh. That's good. They're going to look at you and they're going to see, like, and he even explicitly says that about all of Israel too, right? He said, that is my firstborn son. And if you don't let them go, Man. I'll strike your firstborn son. Yeah. He he speaks like this. But you, you feel Cain and Abel. You feel Jacob and Esau again. You feel a firstborn or Isaac and Ishmael, right? But God says, they're my firstborn. And this time, it's not that the firstborn isn't going to have preeminence. The firstborn is going to have preeminence. Yeah. He's like, they are my firstborn son. Mm. You let them go that they may serve me. But he, 
he doesn't close the door for any Egyptian to be able to follow Yahweh. No. He says, let my firstborn son go into the wilderness for three days so that they can make a sacrifice unto me. Let and he introduces the the authentic emissaries, not the serpents knockoff and Pharaoh. Yeah. He establishes his own, you know, and for the purposes of what we're going to see in our next episode, foreshadowing of the need for a God man yeah. to, to rule. That's right. Uh, and that so like in a way, these these pagans, they have the right idea. Like the, the king does need to be a son of God. Yeah. It just has to be the right God. Yahweh is going in this way. Moses is going to Pharaoh, but Yahweh is going to battle against Ra. Yeah. And we're going to see who's more powerful. Right. Right. That's that's the way this has been set up. It's like there's there's a, a spiritual mapped over the physical. Right. Who is the most high. Right. Yeah. That, that's exactly right. And, and God's going to show himself to be mightier than Ra. And it's funny because he even says, before I gave you my divine name in this chapter, he said, I was known as unto El you only as God Almighty. El Shaddai. El Shaddai. And El in Hebrew is like a Hebrew way just to generically say Very generic God, term, right? Yes. Yeah, El. But yeah. Yah, Yahweh, <coughs> or Yahweh, you yeah. know, is the Hebrew way to say God's divine name. This is personalized. Like, not only am I God Almighty, but this is who I am. Yeah. You know, I, and it, there's this idea like I am is like, it's, I am not caused. Yeah. I am just because I am. Yeah. I am the source of all other things. Preeminence. Those other gods. I'm the source of them. Everything comes from me. I come from nothing. Yeah. And I, I, everything that is, is from me. It's this idea that God is, is the only uncaused cause. So, right. And yeah. all of his creation is in rebellion. But we have this, this, I think it's so beautiful because it's so needed. Like God is stepping down into our realm to order things, right? Things are chaotic. There's God's doing their own thing. There's people doing their own thing. But God is stepping into creation to bring order. Yeah. And I, I think for me, this is one of the more exciting moments in our narrative line to this point. Yeah. Because God has stepped in. I mean, we remember Genesis chapter 6. God steps in and floods the place. You know, God stepped in at Genesis chapter three and promised the serpent crusher to begin with. Yeah. Right. God steps in in Genesis chapter 11 and disperses Babel. He, God confuses the, the people that are orchestrating themselves together to rebel against him. God steps in with Abraham. Mm. God steps in with Isaac. God steps in with uh, Jacob. God steps in at Sodom and Gomorrah. There's these moments where he pops in wrecks the joint and pops out. But we get the feeling here that God's coming to stay and do battle for a bit. This yeah. isn't going to be a pop in pop out thing. Yeah. This is, I, I, I feel the term like battle array, the serpent um, <coughs> and, and, and Pharaoh and the Egyptians have broadened their chests and stiffened their necks out against Israel and the God of the Israelites, who is the God of everything yeah. and said, I don't know you, I won't listen to you, and I won't do what you say. Your people aren't your people, they're my people, and I'll do with your people whatever I want. And then God sets himself up to say, all right, I'm going to show you who's the boss around here. He, yeah. He picks out his proxy, and a proxy for his proxy, right? He gives yeah. Moses Aaron, and he sends them to Pharaoh on his behalf. And the chapter ends with a couple of signs not being well received. 
but not being well received for the purpose of God saying, I am going to strike. We get it translated as plague. That's what we'll cover in the next episode. But the word means like, almost like you would think of punching. I'm going to strike yeah, the gonna, Egyptians. Gonna, God says, I've came to fight. I'm going to pound them into the dust. Yeah. Uh, just as a, as a final note, you brought up earlier that like the door is not shut to Egyptians. That's so true. And the reason why is the promise to Abraham is, I'm going to bless all the nations through you. Yeah. And so like, if, if you do, you're right, I'm going to bless those who bless you, but I'm going to curse those who curse you yeah. for the Egyptians that will bless Abraham, that will bless Israel. God's hand is open to bless them. Yeah. But for those who want to deal shrewdly with them. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to get the, you know, you're going to get yeah. what's coming to you. So the idea is it's like the, the ball is in your court. You can trust that if you do good to this people that I've chosen, doesn't matter what they do. I'll deal with that. But if you'll do good with them, to them, then I'll do good to you. But if you think that you can take from them what I'm freely giving, if you think you're going to take the blessing that I promise, you think you're going to override me? Yeah, it isn't going to happen. Not going to happen. No. And that, that So we see that being played out in in the beginning of, of this, this striking narrative where it says that you, I am going to curse the one who has been cursing you. Mm. Right? That's good. Yeah. Well, I think that's uh that'll conclude what we have for today's episode. Good place to land. Yeah. Uh, we'll pick that's up it. next week with the strikes. Let's see the the seed war crack off next week. Well, yeah. it's already cracked off, but I think it's really getting the heat. It's going to get spicy. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to get spicy. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, you're not. Man, we can't forget. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah. Uh, no. Um but yeah, that's we keep forgetting to plug this, but that's what's at the table today. Man. Yeah. So from all of us here at, at the Table Podcast, again, thank you for your love. Thank you for your support. We pray the ministry continues to bless you as y'all are a blessing to us. Um, may his favor and face shine upon you. Godspeed. Godspeed. See you later. Thank you for listening to another episode of At The Table Podcast. We hope you've been blessed by the content of the show. If you enjoyed, subscribe and give us a like on Facebook. If you want to support the podcast, go to our Patreon, At The Table Podcast. Until next time, thank you and God bless.